welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Focus podcast where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Y'all have been hearing me recommend all of you founders apply to the Guild Academy Femtech Edition. Well, I am so impressed with the 10 founders we accepted into our cohort. Follow Femtech Focus on social and subscribe to our newsletter to learn about these incredible innovators moving women's health and wellness forward. I'm sure you'll hear a bit more of them over the next few weeks. In today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Amy Divaranya, co-founder and CEO of OVA. OVA, spelled O-O-V-A, was born with the goal to help women easily achieve their fertility goals without disrupting their busy lives. OVA is a fertility tracking kit that allows couples to measure, track, and predict ovulation cycles with an at-home lab test. I loved that Amy is actually a scientist. She has a PhD in biomedical sciences with a focus in genetics and genomics, my favorite, from Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Really good school. She gets vulnerable with us about her own 18-month struggle to get pregnant and getting misdiagnosed with PCOS. Did you know that one in eight couples struggle to get pregnant in the U.S.? That's approximately 5 million women experiencing difficulty getting pregnant every year in the U.S. This is technology that's obviously needed, and uh, we get kind of nerdy, so enjoy. Hey, Dr. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Is your son sleeping now? He finally fell asleep. Let's hope that he lasts the entire interview. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, for our listeners, uh, when Amy and I tuned in, she was holding her her son and being like, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to put him down. I said, girl, that's what this show is all about. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> he's at that age. He, he just turned two, so it's super unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And we just have to go with it. And now, of course, with COVID, our routine is the window yes oh my gosh poor kids you know I need routine and I'm like a relatively functional 29 year old woman you know (laughs) no that's all out the window (laughs) oh man well you know I love interviewing real humans and you are absolutely a real human um so I'm glad if if he if he wakes up don't worry everyone all the listeners I think are fine with it so awesome Let's, uh, um, before we get into your company, you know, our listeners really love to learn about our guest and their background because many people get into femtech, they didn't start there, right? They usually end up there somehow. And so we have a lot of aspiring femtech people, whether that they want to go into policy or entrepreneurship, um, but they may relate to your personal story. So where are you from and what did you study? And then, you know, t- talk, talk to us all the way through starting your company. Sure. So I'm an East Coast girl through and through. Um, I grew up in New York and moved to New Jersey. I, I literally grew up in New Jersey um, for most of my life. Um, but my background is very heavy in biology. I actually have a PhD in biomedical sciences. 
um, from Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Um, but I, I come from industry even before that. So I was a data scientist at several pharma companies prior to jumping into my PhD. Um, to say that I have a business mind is a complete, is like the complete wrong way to describe me. Um, <laughs> I went through undergrad with like this thesis that I will never take a business class because I don't belong in business. Mm. So I was like heavy on the med school track, wanted to do something to help people um, in a very scientific way. And I achieved that goal, but in a, in a very unpredictable path. Um, the reason we founded UVA was because in 2016, I was coming to the near end of my PhD. And um, we, my husband and I decided to start trying to have a baby. We were like, all right, you know what, let's start now. Uh, you're going to defend in about nine months. Let's hope your water breaks and then you don't have to defend. And, <laughs> and, and for get, all get those listening, your defend is uh, her defense. So at the end of your PhD, you have to literally give a presentation and then answer questions for about two hours from experts in the field. That's what defend means. So, yeah. wow. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I think the hard part of that whole thing is actually writing your dissertation. So I would have done oh, yeah. all that. Oh, it's yeah. Just about the presentation, right? So to say that didn't happen is also a huge understatement because we started trying. We expected it to be difficult because I've never had regular cycles my whole life. Mm. We were both in our 30s, and I've also been diagnosed with celiacity. So infertility has been thought to be affiliated with that. Um, but we did make a decision early on that if we didn't conceive naturally, then we didn't want to go the invasive route. Mm. So for us, or I should say for me, I shouldn't speak for him, um, it was actually easier to make peace with possibly never being a mother than it was to go through a failed cycle or potential miscarriage. Wow. So we started doing everything right. I started peeing on six every morning. I started taking my body temperature at 4.30 a.m. I used every fertility tracking app that was available. And... Luckily, after 18 months, I conceived my son. But those 18 months were the most devastating months of my life. Wow. Um, I felt things that I don't think any human should ever really endure. Um, the worst thing was that I collected so much data, right, during those 18 months. And all I learned was that I had irregular cycles, which I knew <laughs> going in. You're so, like, yeah, like, I nothing. know. <laughs> I've had this vagina right. my whole life. I know. <laughs> exactly. And then I was like, okay, let me try to hack these tools for me. And was like three months into my journey. And I found that they were hardwired for women who had perfect cycles. And when mm. I say perfect, I mean you have a period every 28 to 30 days. Yeah. Right. That just wasn't me. So that biologist in me comes out because you can't really hide that person. Um, and I was like, you know what? If I know what my hormones are doing, I'll know exactly where I am in my cycle, and then I can determine what I need to do and when I need to do it. So um, that kind of sparked this thought in my head that I need to be empowered with information about my body. So I went into my lab that morning. I was like on another level of rant, and <laughs> my now co-founder and partner walked on my desk. Mind you, this is like the second conversation I've ever had with him in our lives. Um, and I ranted my entire frustration of everything, not getting pregnant, not knowing what's going on. Why can't we apply some innovation in this space? Um, he walked away from me quite quite scared, to be mm -hmm. um, And then an hour later, he came back and he's like, Amy, I think we can build something. And then we spend the rest of the day in a conference room mapped out Uba. So it's kind of funny that, sorry, it's kind of funny that what we drew on a whiteboard 
is actually what turned into our product today. Wow. I love that, you know, there's like this um, saying, like there was an idea written on the back of a napkin in Silicon Valley. Well, for scientists, it's an idea on the back of a whiteboard, (laughs) (laughs) on the front of a whiteboard, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it was was a beautiful drawing and uh, it it is what Uva is today in some form. And real quickly about, you know, you said that you took your body temperature at 4.30 every morning. Is that just because what, that's what time you woke up or that's what time women yeah. need to do it? No, at the time I was waking up. I was in the, at the tail end of my PhD. I had crazy hours. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I feel I you, girl. I was on the first train. Yeah. Train I worked, the city. And... I worked with bacteria. And uh, when you work with something that doubles every 20 minutes, mm, there's a lot of 1 a.m. visits to the laboratory. <laughs> to do yeah. something gosh no I, was, I, I don't envy you I was totally on the dry lab side dry, and, yeah uh, but I set my own crazy hours because I wanted to finish my PhD as quickly as possible Girl, which I yes. don't recommend yes <laughs> I started a, co- a company while finishing my PhD also don't recommend also don't recommend right. but if you're real crazy <laughs> like us totally doable um well tell us about uh the company what year was that did you start it and uh, what does it look like today Sure. So we officially started the company in 2017. And um, what we have built is an at-home test that monitors two key fertility hormones quantitatively. Uh, We measure luteinizing hormone and progesterone through urine. Um, The way that this works is you provide a urine sample on a test strip. You wait 10 minutes, and then you scan that test strip using the camera directly on your phone. And we've embedded a lot of image processing and computer vision algorithms directly in our app. So we do all the analytics for you. Mm. Um, every test is personalized. So we capture what every woman's unique baseline hormone levels are and then detect fluctuations in a hormone by comparing to that. So yeah. that's the key piece that we needed to in- embed into our product, right? That we wanted to personalize this entire experience for every woman. Mm-hmm. Uva's like ultimate goal is to redefine what normal is. We are no longer getting pregnant at 23, 24 years nope. old. Mm-mm. We no longer have 28 day cycles when we're trying to get pregnant. So we should not be held to those standards anymore. Yeah. And Uva's really trying to redefine what that standard should be. Yeah. You're saying um, like today we don't have 28 day cycles anymore. Do you think at one point we did? I think evolutionarily, yes. Like if yeah. you look at like my the generation before us, right? Like my parents, they, they had me when they were in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. And yes, you, women are much more regular, whether it's a 28-day cycle or 35-day cycle, whatever it may be. It's much more regular early in life. Mm, now, oh, that, oh even, okay. I see what you're saying. Because we're having kids later, it is a trend that your periods are not as regular while you're later in life. But our, our early, you know, our parents, our grandparents didn't have an issue with irregular periods because they had kids in early 20s. Exactly. And then the other key thing is that even if you have a period every month, right, you may not release an egg every cycle. Mm-hmm. And that's where Uva really kicks in, too. Because we get progesterone measurements as well, we're able to confirm that you actually did ovulate this cycle. And that's a really critical piece of information as you're trying to get pregnant. Definitely. Do you find that uh, women take your test, though, and, like, sometimes it's not about, like, that she's just irregular, that she has an issue she needs to see a doctor about? Yeah, uh, that happens quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the one value that Uva provides to those women is that you're going to walk into your doctor's office educated about your body so you can have an informed conversation with them. Yeah. You're not walking in saying something's wrong. Tell me what's going on. 
Instead, you're going to them with a report that says, look, I monitored LH and progesterone. My LH surged, so I, it looks like I ovulated, but my progesterone stayed low. Yeah. So does that mean I ovulated or not? And now the doctor can look at those values and actually say, okay, you know what? Let's start with this next step or this next protocol and not from ground zero, which is what many uh, doctors do today. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually had a conversation earlier today, interestingly enough, that we we were kind of debating um do we think that women bringing graphs and data into their doctor is something that overwhelms the doctor and therefore the doctor kind of gets fed up or is it something that the doctor is like really excited about and wants to further engage and you know is, is so happy right so do you have any like consumer feedback of women that have brought these graphs to doctors and how they responded yeah, it's twofold. So one, let me comment on what you just said. I 100% agree with you because I think the status quo of data collection for women has just been so low. Like it, it hasn't met the demand or the need that women have today, mm-hmm. right? Now with like technology like Uber, where we're actually, so during our whole product development, we actually had doctors involved mm-hmm. to make sure that the data and the information we're providing is not only useful to a patient, but it's also useful to the doctor. If they have to look at it. Mm-hmm. So what did that enable us to do now? One, we have women who are getting clinical grade results in the in the privacy of their own home with reports that the doctor can use. So yes, we've had a lot of women tell us they've taken their, their reports, gone to their doctor, and like the doctor has not just shoved it to the side, mm-hmm. which is great. Good. But on the other side, we've actually had a lot of interest from doctors to utilize our technology in their practice to help their patients for remote hormone monitoring. Yeah. So what that has enabled now is we actually have a way for doctors to view their hormone, uh, their patient's hormone data in real time. So you're not sending, waiting six, 12, mm-hmm. two hours, whatever it may be, to get results. You're getting them within seconds. Wow, and wow. Is it electronic like, medical record, like integrated? It's, uh, we have our own HIPAA compliant web dashboard Got that the doctor it. would log into. And they can see all their patient's information there. Oh, cool, cool. Oh, my gosh. This is really cool. All right. Well, that's great to hear that so far, you know, doctors are so receptive that they're actually asking you and engaging you to involve you in their patient's treatment. Um, I also think that, you know, new doctors, um, as they're getting trained, they're going to be you know, our age, right? And they're growing up with tech. And so hopefully they're not as like startled by it or, you know, scared of it or, you know, I don't know, put off by it. That's, that's really great. Um, I was going to ask about, oh, the process. So is it a pee stick or how do the women do it? Yeah. So um, a kit comes with 15 disposable cartridges. Um, You basically would provide a urine sample. Well, let me take a step back. So one big gap in this whole trying to conceive process is that women don't know when to test. Mm. So if you buy an ovulation kit, you get, you open up the box, there's this pamphlet inside, you open it up and there's a table saying, if you cycle this many days long, you start testing on cycle day five or cycle day seven. Mm. The problem is that everyone's cycle day five and cycle day seven is different. Yeah. Right. So what Uva does is when you register in our app, we actually tell you what days you need to start scanning. So we take all that guesswork out. Yes. Um, and so when you have to scan, you basically provide a urine sample on the test strip, either midstream or the dip test. We work in both ways. You wait 10 minutes. 
and then you scan the test strip using the camera on your phone. No way. So, no yeah. way. So I know this is a podcast, but I can quickly show you so you have some idea of what this looks like. <gasps> oh, we're going to post that picture for sure. We'll post <laughs> this, a picture of this. Yeah. All right. So it's a cartridge that has a little QR code and then a window, and this is your sample pad where you provide the sample. Yes. Right? So what you'll see is in this little window, sorry, there's a little mm-hmm. bit of glare. Um, you'll see one, two, or three lines show up. Okay. And that'll determine how much progesterone luteinizing hormone you have in the sample. You then scan this using your camera, mm-hmm. and our app is designed to detect this QR code, and then we scan this region, and we do all the analytics for you. Oh, my God. So the camera so, and the app can see how many lines there are as well. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's basically capturing this region and yeah. then analyzing it for us. So we spent about three years developing some innovative chemistry that is happening on that test strip inside. The best oh analogy gosh. I can give you is if you think of a pregnancy test, right? There's either one or two lines present. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how dark that second line is, right? With UVA, the intensities of the lines actually matter. It does matter. Okay. Right? Yeah. So we spent that's what we spent three years developing at an actual test strip that where the intensity of the line correlates with how much hormone is present. Oh my gosh. All right. And just a little bit further description for our listeners. If you're like, what does it look like? It looked Sorry. like it looked like uh, you took a pregnancy test thing and you just cut it in half and it has the pea stick side and it has the window side, but it's kind of mini and it had a QR code on it. And so, yeah, it's so cool. So cool. So that <laughs> it's like a mini pregnancy test with the QR code on it. Wow. Right. Interesting. And so it's an app. So the women, they buy like a set of these tests and they download your app. Mm-hmm. Okay. All yes. right. And then once we scan the results, we do all the analytics like I mentioned before. So we provide you with a contextualized result telling you exactly where you are in your cycle. Are you at low, high peak ovulation? Have you released an egg this cycle? And then we also give you a normalized amount of how much hormone is present in that reading. Mm-hmm. So you literally know what's going on with your fertility profile. In addition, we give you daily action plans because one of the feelings that I had when I was going through my journey was that I felt completely out of control. And somebody like me who is super type A, I set mm. a goal and I go and I achieve it mm-hmm. and faster than I anticipated to. All of a sudden, my body's not letting me get pregnant. So you feel completely debilitated and out of control. So with what we want to do with our platform is actually, in, in, I guess, re-engage that sense of power that you deserve to have. And so we provide you with daily action plans that are personalized to, to you. Um, that's a single item in, in nutritional health, physical health, and emotional wellness. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Tell us about one of the activities for emotional wellness. Um, it could be ensure that you get enough sleep this tonight, um, reduce the amount of blue light. Um, we give you some meditation exercises. Mm. There's a, We have a, a whole things we've worked with a lot of clinicians and research to, to actually like hand curate these daily actions. wow well and then you know i just want our listeners to hear this that you know dr amy here had doctors involved from the get-go from the full development she had doctors involved from all different types of doctors it sounds like right clinicians yeah. for emotional health and then the the endometriologists and the fertility specialists, all the doctors, you know, unfortunately at Femtech Focus, we know we do interact with a lot of Femtech companies that have, you know, the founders spent all their savings, maxed out their credit cards, um, three years into it. And, you know, when they come to us, we're the first doctors, especially my co-founder, who's an MD, you know, we're the first doctors that have actually looked at their device and told them, 
this doesn't, this won't work in a uterus or this already exists, you know, and it breaks my heart, breaks my heart, you know, because I'm like, oh my God, you spent so much time on this. And if you talked to somebody three years ago, you could have pivoted, you know? Um, So listeners, if you have an idea, talk to a doctor as soon as possible. And, um, and if you don't know where to find one, you just message us. Okay. (laughs) We'll help you find one, even if it's us. So important. that was the hardest conversation that we were like preparing for because before we did anything with Uva, we actually went and spoke with a leading RE, reproductive endocrinologist, to make sure that what we were building or what our idea was was something that they would not push to the side. Yes. And we walked into that meeting thinking, all right, he's going to tell us that this idea sucks. And <laughs> everything, this deck that we put together and spent a month on is, is not a is waste of time. And we had the complete opposite reaction. Oh, that's great. The reaction was, if you can actually do this and build something like this, that's going to change the game. Wow. And how long has your product been in the market? How many women have taken it? So we have, we actually responded to COVID and we launched, I'm going to say we did an early release of the product on April 20th. Okay. It's only been a few months. Um, but we have had over... We've had a lot of women use this, and we've already had several success stories of women getting pregnant. Oh my god! Have any of them named their baby Uva? <laughs> no, they're still pregnant. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right, that's right. That's pregnancy. Oh my god, yes, obviously, like, no months. I know how long gestation is. I ask all of our fertility startups if they, if the, if has anyone named their baby after your company. So, so far, no one <laughs> waiting for that. I think Uva has a chance. Yeah, at least, at least the middle name. name. At least the middle name, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more? I know you're a scientist, so I'm like, oh, she won't mind if I ask. <laughs> um, can we talk a little bit more about the LH hormone and the mm-hmm. progesterone hormone? Um, what are they responsible for? And also, like, at when they peak or they decrease, what does that mean in relation to fertility? Sure. So let's start with luteinizing hormone first, or LH. LH, we'll, we'll yeah, luteinizing hormone, yeah. Yeah. So LH really has a role in um, pushing the egg out of the ovary oh. into the uterus. That is the, the ultimate goal of it. So, like, none of our hormones work in a silo, mm-hmm. like, especially in reproduction. They're all, like, they all work in, in synchrony, and when they're not, then something's really wrong. Mm. So um, the way that this works is that estrogen starts to elevate, right before um, your luteinizing hormone levels have, have this surge. So LH is actually released from the pituitary gland in your brain. And when your estrogen levels start to go up, it starts signaling to your brain to release LH, mm. right? So LH actually is released in, a, in I like to call it like a pulsatile hormone, where it's like little spurts of the hormone coming out, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then what you want is you want to see a collective amount of that hormone present, which causes this surge. So if you're trying to get pregnant, you might hear like, oh, we're all waiting for that LH surge to happen. Oh. And you'll see the spike that happens when your LH levels reach a certain amount, right? And that's what kind of pushes the ovary to release the egg into the uterus. Got it. So these right. the LH uh, molecule, does it stay up in the brain or does it make its way down to the ovaries? Yeah, it's traveling down. Ah. It's, not just, it's just being released by the pituitary. Blood. Yeah, and it gets into your bloodstream? Yeah, it's a hormone, so that yeah. would be in your bloodstream. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. And then I guess it also gets in your urine, and then that's how you right. can measure it. Whoa. So exactly. cool. Okay. Tell us about so, progesterone. 
Right. So now, let's say your LH has spiked, you release the egg, the egg is now traveled into the uterus. If that happens, the egg starts to mature and it'll start to release progesterone. So it turns into a corpus luteum and then that starts to release progesterone. And that's what you would detect in the blood or in the urine. So if you don't release an egg, you won't see that progesterone. Oh, spike it's like a, it's like a little flag. Like, yep, it happened. Yep. Right. And progesterone levels stay elevated. So now if you conceive, your progesterone levels will remain high and continue to uh, go up. If you don't conceive, then your progesterone levels will drop and that will signal to your body that, all right, we didn't get pregnant this month, let's have a period. And so everything drops and then you shed your uterine lining. Got it. And if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how birth control works, right? So birth control, oh yeah, well, I guess. So some of the pills, at least some, some version of pills, Mm -hmm. uh, birth control pills are that you take progesterone, which tells your body you're pregnant, which you're not, you're Mm -hmm. on birth control, but that, uh, therefore the ovaries are not going to be releasing eggs. Right. Right. That's one version of it. That's a traditional way. Okay. I would say, but now with like the IUDs and stuff, they're releasing progesterone. Some of them release estrogen. Like they kind of, like I said, they all work in synchrony. Yeah. Yeah. They just have to figure out what that balance is. Do you know if there's any... I'm sorry. Do you know if there's any um, birth control that blocks LH? Um, I don't think there's any that specifically block LH, like, directly. But what it might do is impact the way that estrogen is behaving, and that would prevent LH from being released. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I I have my thinking face on right now. I'm like, this is so fascinating. It's, um, it's kind of amazing what our bodies are designed to do. God, especially women's bodies. We're amazing. Mm-hmm. We are so yeah. amazing. I can't believe it. Um, and so are, do some women have these cycles, but it's just like super low levels? or And like the low levels then cause the egg to never actually come out? It's all different. So all different. like, for example, I'll take my case. For example, I never used to get a high or a peak on a clear blue ovulation stick. Mm. Um, I, I just always got low. That was always my result. When I started using UVA, I actually measured my hormone levels, and I saw that my surge was significantly lower than what that threshold was for the clear blue test. And I was ovulating because I would see the progesterone spike happening. Yeah. So that's why I always got a low. My, my, my levels are just lower than normal. Got it. Right? Um, you have the other case where women such as who have issues like polycystic ovarian syndrome or really heavy hormone imbalances, their LH levels might be significantly high, and that's their baseline. So they may always get a higher peak when they actually shouldn't be getting that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's it's the whole purpose is to understand what your personal baseline is and figure out what's going on with your hormones. Yes. Um... Oh, I was, I'm thinking of a bunch of questions. I need to go in order. (laughs) Um, Oh, that was what I was going to say. So you just said that like you used um, Uva to like measure your hormones. Like did that, is that what got you pregnant with that beautiful son we saw? I wish. uh, No, he came before uh, Uva was ready. Oh, Um, were you using it just as a tester or were you mm -hmm. you trying to get pregnant? um, You don't have to answer that. That's too personal. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. It's just if my husband hears it, he might not like that answer. (laughs) Um, 
No, so we uh, we were just using it for testing to make sure everything was working well. And I just wanted to understand what was going on with my body. Yeah. You know, my co-founder, uh, Dr. Julie Hakeem, when she was inventing her vaginal stint, there was at mm-hmm. one point where she was like, okay, so we think it's working, but I need to know if it really actually fits in a human vagina and will stay there. And I said, girl, bring me some, give me one. I will wear it and I will record notes all day, voice memo all day about the stint, you know, and it wasn't even my company, you know, but like Mm -hmm. as women creating these types of products, like it's, I mean, a founder should use their product, right? If they can. Well, I think it's it's a different, well, there's several things, right? Like, um, I think we might get into this later, but like a lot of the products that are traditionally in women's health have been developed and run by men. Mm. And I'm sorry, but like a man doesn't understand what is going on with a woman's fertility journey. Yes, yes. Like they just can't convey that. Um, so I think like having that personal struggle of my own, it brings a different level of passion to mm. what we're trying to build today. Um, and then once you test it out, you have a different perspective on feedback, right? Like, I can have 100 women test out my product. They'll give me feedback, but I don't know if anyone would be as critical as I would be of myself mm-hmm. um, when testing mm-hmm. out my own product, right? Yeah. So you, I think that's really critical. Like, don't ever think that you've designed the perfect thing. Use it yourself and make sure it is the way that you intended it to be. Yeah. There's a ton of things that I found wrong with it as I was using it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's... <laughs> That's why you always like, even if it's your registration on a website, you register yourself, go through the process, you know? (laughs) Um, So, okay. So my understanding is that infertility, uh, the causes of infertility is one third, the woman, one third, the man, one third unknown. Is that Mm -hmm. kind of the statistics you've heard, give or take? Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty good and I think that this is just my impression we're chatting now we're just chatting uh my impression is that everyone assumes it's the woman and so as soon as it's not happening the woman goes out and is like getting all these tests and stuff do what's your opinion on that and like why if a woman then went out and she got your product and she's using it and it says it's all normal like you know, do we, do we have a social issue for the woman to tell the man like, Hey, it's actually your spermies that are messing us up. You know what I mean? Like talk to me about that. What do you think? Yeah. I think there's such a stigma and uh, around this whole thing. Um, yes. If a, if a couple goes into, and I'm talking about like a straight couple, if they go mm-hmm. into a fertility clinic. The first thing that I want to say a majority of the fertility clinics are going to do is run the woman through this whole, um, realm of test, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's always an afterthought to test the man. I think that dynamic is starting to change. Yes. And a lot of the more progressive clinics are actually testing the man right out of the gate too, which I think is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely not the norm. Yeah. And I'm not, not I'm not just talking about the US. Like I'm talking about globally. Wow. That is the, the case globally. Mm-hmm. Right. Um now something we hope that will happen with Uva now is if you use this for one or one, two or three cycles and you get your report and you see that your hormone levels are normal, you are ovulating, things are going well, but you're still not pregnant. Now, when you go to your doctor, they should think, all right, let me test the, the partner. The guy, yeah, yeah, good. And so you so are, to really... you're empowering them by making them test somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, know, I, hope so, I don't yeah. think it's me. Hey, look at this. Yeah. Look, my progesterone's good. It's ovulating, you know? Yeah, exactly. Huh. Interesting. It's, and to me, it's all about like information, right? The more information yeah. you have, the more power you have. 
And I just want to give women and couples the information they need to just be their own advocate and take control of their journey. That's right. In that conversation I was having earlier, we actually also talked about, um, like, is there a lie? We were talking about liabilities in women's health. And I said, you know, there's this huge issue with doctors not believing their female patients when they say, I have pain, this doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. something's wrong. Um, and, you know, I said, well, I hope that these types of at home tests, when they go, woman goes back to the doctor and says, I, this doesn't feel right, or I don't think this is working, she also has a graph right? She also has something. And even if the doctor doesn't want to look at that data or consider it, she feels stronger, I hope, to continue to say, no, 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 I feel it. And now I have a graph. And like, if you're still not going to believe me, I need a new doctor. You know, I hope we're empowering women with the graphs, whether they even understand it, whether the doctor understands it, I hope they both do, you know, (laughs) but like, the woman feels more empowered to say, no, I knew it. i knew it and I'm going to fight for myself, you know? Exactly. I a hundred percent agree. And I think if anything, the hard question that she should push for is, okay, if you don't agree with, explain this result, mm. why do you think this happened? Oh, Whether I you love trust that. these results or not, why, why do you think this happened? Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Hmm. So cool. it's not putting blame. It's not, no. it's not accusatory. It's just, I want more information. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes, you know, women, we don't even, we just don't know the questions we should be asking. Right. right? And so this provides us some baseline of like what questions we should be asking. Oh man, that's so great. This is so, so good. Um, I'm so excited to learn about all the babies that you are birthed due to, (laughs) you know, your technology (laughs) and your science. I also love fellow science founders. I think we make excellent founders because entrepreneurship is just like a PhD. You have a limited amount of time, money, and a whole lot of stress. And (laughs) you're trying to commit a a committee of experts. uh, And then in entrepreneurship, you're trying to convince a a board of directors, you know, so there's like a lot of mirroring things. I I just love it. I love it. I think it's just like one sprint after another. Yep. Yes, it is. It totally is. Um, Well, uh, Amy, I want to ask you two last questions that our listeners sure. love. The first one is um, we have a lot of aspiring founders that listen to this podcast and they want to know what else in women's health and wellness still needs innovating. You know, they don't want to rep, they don't want to make another organic tampon, right? They want to make sure they're making something that the world women need. So where is an area in women's health and wellness you think still needs innovating? So I think COVID actually opened up like, Pandora's box in a way mm. of an opportunity. Um, it, it forced us to reevaluate how we're looking at healthcare. Yes. Right. So I think now doctors are kind of forced to figure out a way to do remote healthcare, while patients are forced to figure out a way to kind of advocate for themselves and be like, "I'm not coming into the clinic, but I still need treatment. So how are you going to do this?" Yes. Right? So I think for any companies that are like aspiring today, it mm-hmm. should be looking at that. They should tread that line of direct to consumer and clinic and B2B. It's like this. Yeah. I don't think they're going to have these two isolated worlds anymore. I think they're going to come together. And only the companies that are successfully able to kind of marry the two worlds will be able to move forward. That is so interesting. And that's really great advice. And I totally agree with you. I have a concern. Hopefully, we can change it. We can fix this concern. But 
investors like when founders only pick one. Investors hate it when you say I'm B2C and B2B. They hate it. They hate it. They hate it. They hate it. And so uh, the future of healthcare is going to be B2C and B2B because you're working with the both, right? And so that's going to be really interesting to see that that is where technology should be going and to improve health. And let's see if investors will, will fund it. So my argument to that, I 100% agree because I've spoken to a ton of investors at this point and I, I agree with you. And what they tell me is that at this stage, it's okay to be kind of omni-channel. <laughs> yeah. But come your next funding round, you better pick one. And I'm still pushing back on that because yeah. I don't think, I think it's a disservice to, to our company and to healthcare overall. Mm-hmm. So I think the way to kind of overcome that obstacle is to show that you have buy-in from both sides. That's right. So you should not put all like a hundred percent of your effort in one channel versus the other. Mm-hmm. Maybe you put obviously you're human. You have finite hours in a day, mm-hmm. and you can only do so much. But you should put a certain percentage towards one channel, and then make sure you're still devoting a percentage of your time to the other. So don't just drop one. I love that advice. In fact, um, you know I've worked with uh, Tony Morrison on Motive Bio, which is trying to do a a B2B and a B2C part. And I, you know, he's like, investors are telling me to pick. And I said, you know, investors will, if you pick, they want you to be picking based off of data. So why don't you still go with both and see which one picks up and let's hope both of them do. And then that is your, your, you know, evidence for why you need both. Right. And so investors are going to, when you say, Oh, we're doing both. And they say, why are you doing both? You say, Oh, well, because we're just testing which one's better. But you know, secretly in your head, it's like, because I'm going to prove to you that both is the best way. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Wow. Um, And our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? I think it needs data-backed solutions. I think there's, a, like, Femtech kind of got a lot of publicity and awareness as, like, period trackers and fertility monitors and things like that. But and a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon because it became this new hot commodity, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, like, it, it has to be data-backed. It can't yes. just be another ovulation kit or mm-hmm. another heart rate monitor. It has to be something that provides additional value to the end user and lets them take control of their, their journey a little bit more. So um, I do think there's a lot of noise in the femtech space right now, which kind of does a disservice to the entire industry. Mm-hmm. Instead, if we start focusing on products that are actually trying to change healthcare with a female focus, which is what the intention of femtech was initially, That's right. then I think we can really make a solid name for it. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I hope femtech focus is highlighting the, true innovators you know that's what i'm trying to do too because there's a lot of noise um at the same time there's a lot of you know not a no people aren't aware and that's why we ended up with 15 organic tampon companies in my opinion is because we weren't communicating with each other that that already exists you know and so when we have our baby founder that shows up in our community and says i want to do this we can all say hey 20 other people are actually doing that but you know over here no one's working on that you should maybe you pivot right um, and so, yeah, Femtech Focus is really trying to help sort out the noise, but also bubble up the stories that really need read shining. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's also kind of a, a problem with startup world that everyone mm. kind of works in these silos and it's time to kind of break those barriers and share what you're doing. Like, there's 
there's a lot of innovation happening in the space. That's right. That's right. And I think that um, our silo, one of the reasons we've been a silo is because people don't normally talk about vaginas in the boardroom. And I'm so excited to make it normal. So excited. Yeah. I just, I say vagina all the time. And uh, it's just, it's just who I am. Just who I am. People are not surprised anymore. And uh, I think once everyone starts doing it, it's not going to be weird, you know, at least in the right context, obviously, obviously. Sure. All. <laughs> I'm sure you're not just walking on the street screaming us. <laughs> there That's are certain dinner parties. I don't bring it up. All right. I know. I know my <laughs> limits. Um, well, Amy, this has been so much fun. A fellow scientist. I love it. I didn't have to, like, excuse myself for being curious about the hormones. Um, and you had the answers, which I love having a founder scientist who knows the data behind their products. So cool. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Amy Devaranya, co-founder and CEO of OVA. I hope you liked the science discussion we had around progesterone and luteinizing hormone. Women's bodies are so complex and beautiful. I love how Dr. Amy had a struggle and then took matters into her own scientific hands. What are you, listeners, what are you struggling with that you wish you had a solution to? All of us can be innovators. You don't need an MBA to start a company. I certainly don't have one, and I've started several. So shoot me a message and tell me what you're working on. I want to hear about it. I really do love hearing from our listeners. For example, shout out to Jenny Thomas from London, Laurel Marcus from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Jean Chung from New York City. Holla. Hey, thanks for reaching out on LinkedIn. I appreciate hearing from you guys. Alrighty, Femme fans, do me a favor, write us a review for the show, share it with your friends, and follow us on social media at FemTechFocus, and subscribe to our newsletter through our website, FemTechFocus.org. And until next time, keep innovating, because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.